All right. Well, uh, you know, I, I don't want you to think that uh, um, I keep going back to uh, some of the uh, same speakers, but, you know, really, Lord keeps stirring my heart some of the, the messages that I've been listening to myself to bring to you. And um, in part today, uh, Stephen Furtick with Elev Elevation Church, once again, this, this ties into some of the messages that we, that was part of a series of some of the messages I shared before, and I just felt like this is uh, an important uh, message that I want to bring to you today about three habits of a healthy heart. Um, my, my boys and I, have some of you have been hearing the examples I've talked about, is going to the pool early in the morning, and last week was sporadic, and, and then with my uh, foot injury, you know, it was back and forth a little, but we have this focus now on health. Uh, my wife has been uh, losing some uh, size and, and some weight because she's been on a, what do you call it? Keto. Not to plug, I'm not plugging a diet, but she's doing a keto diet. And so I've been eating some of what she's prepared that she eats. And so um, today I actually had to cinch down my belt a little bit. And I've not been really trying other than a little bit of working out. And um, I still had my icy pops last night. Had about three of those. Those are just <laughs> frozen sugar water, but you know. But they taste good. <laughs> I don't want you to look at the, you know, maybe it doesn't affect other people as much as it does a minister, but, you know, there's been times we've had both services packed at different seasons of the year, and then there's times when it's low like this. And the temptation when we walk into a place where there's a lot of empty seats, and we're like, where's that person? Where's this person? Is to start thinking that there's not as much significance in what we're doing today because others didn't make it significant to be here which is absolutely not the case because it's not by the majority vote of what happens here, whether it's important or not to our lives. It's by the Word of God, whether it's important or not to our lives. So don't shut down. This teaching today is going to require full attention, not just your mind, but your heart and your emotions. This is not one that you can, can take an emotional holiday or a mental holiday from. How many know that real lasting change has to happen in your heart? You know, guns kill, right? Some of you, right, patriots, right-wingers, I say that, and what are you thinking? Guns don't kill people as much as spoons don't kill people. Well, spoons do kill people, the same as guns kill people. No, they don't really. It's how they're used, right? Right? Uh, my, my good buddy, I've grown up with Shane Nelson. His dad is project lead for our, our MAPS RV project lead, and he walked in, and I didn't know he's coming, and it surprised me. But uh, Shane and I used to watch UFC fighting and, uh, of course, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies and uh, Steven Seagal, which is horrible acting, horrible acting, really. But, you know, that's not the important thing. As, as a young man, you think you're learning real-life fighting skills through those movies. You know, how, how many here, come on, guys, and especially guys, not including ladies, have you ever taken one had VCRs where we stopped frame by frame when it finally got to that point? How many of you watched those movies and then stopped them frame by frame and then practiced what you saw? Okay, <laughs> just me. Shane's nodding. I know there's more than that. Same thing as ladies and cooking shows. Now, how much she put in? Well, us guys do that. But talk to me this morning, please, because how, how many of you know real lasting change has to happen in your heart? I mean, it, it, can't, it can't just be in your behavior because how many of have tra tried behavior modification? How many of you have ever moved as a, as when you're in grade school or through high school or junior high, have moved to a new town or a new school and you tried behavior modification because this school you're going to be the popular kid or you're going to be, uh, you know, liked by everybody, whereas you felt like you weren't before. 
And how many realize it only takes two weeks before you realize that's fruitless because you're the same person. You just moved location. So it can't just be in your behavior. You, you really have to change your fundamental beliefs. And, and that's how the psalmist is, what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 119. There's a lot of verses in 119. And so when you turn to Psalm 119, we're going to go all the way to verse 112 for our message today. Longest chapter in the Bible. And it's constructed grammatically in a specific way that we won't really get into the grammar or the semantics of that. But the perspective the psalmist is, is talking about in Psalm 119 is all over the place. I mean, if you read through all of one Psalm 119, it seems like this person is having a bipolar moment. But I think he's dealing with some inner issues. And getting beyond the grammar of the psalms, we get into the intention of the psalm because the psalmist says in 112, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Forever to the end. I incline my heart to your statutes. I, I want this to last. I don't want to see just a few changes for weeks after the New Year's, my New Year's resolution uh, in January because um, of some re resolution. I don't want to... to to make it temporary. I didn't sign up for a gym membership for a year in January just so I could be eating chocolates by Valentine's Day. And I want to see some lasting change in my life this year. The psalmist says, I incline my heart. It has to happen within. Not, not just the behavior, the belief that drives the behavior has to change or change won't stay. We found this out over and over again. How many have made a New Year's resolution? And it didn't last. Pastor CJ, why are you talking about New Year's resolution in August? Because it's coming every year. And we do it. And then when it doesn't last, we scratch our heads why. And every new year we learn it again. And so lasting change is what I'm, I'm after. So I incline my heart. And it's an interesting choice of words. You, so if you incline something, that means it was naturally not in that position. That means you had to put it in an incline. Zach, can I get your help for a minute? Because you're an athletic guy. Now, now this is going to require you to come up here and put your athleticism into play. Now, I'm not very athletic right now, and bending over is hard for me. So, I'm, can you do push? Or can you do sit-ups? Okay. Do I need to sit on your feet to do it, or can you do it? Okay. Do you mind doing a sit-up for, for, for folks? Okay. Or two, or you know, if you want to show off, do as many as you can. But Tim's saying, I want to get up here and. Show them how it's done. Okay, so you see, the natural position, Zach, I want you to rest. I want you to rest laying down there. Okay, see, that's nice. See, that's what I like to do when I'm resting. I like to uh, be in that position. But here's the thing. The more I do that, especially feeding my face, the more this grows. And to get this off, I end up, Zach, can you do a couple more sit-ups? I end up having to incline my position. I have to come up and curl up and do a sit-up. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, you're done. Thank you. Give him a hand. Psalmist says, I incline my heart. It has to happen within, not just the behavior. The belief that drives the behavior has to change or the change won't stay. So it was naturally not in that position. Zach had to, to do the sit-up to incline himself. He had to raise up. And so we don't incline something that's already upright. That means that his heart, the psalmist says, was declined. That the natural position of our heart is at a decline, or at the very least, a flat rest. 
And the problem with a lot of us is we go through life reclined. That's just however we wake up, we stay. You see, what I'm finding in my spiritual walk is you cannot unintentionally follow the Lord Jesus. And literally, that in the physical realm, when you wake up in the morning, you can't just get up and start your day however it starts and expect that that day you will follow Jesus. However we feel, that's how we act. The psalmist is saying, I act upon my attitude and I incline my heart. Did you know that you're in charge of your heart? That, that your, char your heart will naturally relax into a resting position, and I'm talking about the spiritual realm of your heart, will naturally relax into the sinful nature, the, re the relaxed or the lazy position. And so we have to intentionally, through action, incline our heart because we're in charge of our heart. So quit saying people have broken your heart. They can't break it unless you've given it to them. Quit saying people have hurt you because they can't hurt you unless you've allowed that to happen. And, and listen, uh, some of you are going to go to the place and say, that's why I guess put up my walls. Nobody can hurt me. No, we're not talking about avoiding the situation. We're talking about going into it with the principles of the Lord that help you withstand those fiery darts. And instead of them impacting you, you impact them through the power of God's word. The psalmist is saying, my heart is set in the direction of heaven. I, I wonder if your heart is set in the direction of heaven this morning set in a divine direction. So here is a healthy habit, the first healthy habit for your heart. Incline my heart. And I don't think this is something you do just one time. Incline your heart one time at summer church camp, right? Go to church camp in the summer, incline your heart while you're there, while there's nobody of your popular friends at school who, who may be believers too and hiding out. They haven't had a Holy Ghost experience and they're hiding Afraid somebody's going to kill them for their faith like the disciples did until the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them. But you go to church camp one time and, and then you're never tempted again, right? When I come home and this is done, I've settled it. Now sin doesn't have an effect on me because I had this powerful experience at church camp or, or at that service I went and paid tickets for and drove a long ways just so I could get a little bit of something I don't get at my home church. And, and i got to go get it somewhere because that's going to fix me, right? As soon as I go there, I'm fixed. I come back and it's my home church that's a problem with me. Okay, I'm going to get off this. Some of you are looking guilty at me. I don't even know. I'm not talking to anybody here today. So I'm not, I don't know what's bothering you. But I think we want it to be that way. I think we want to be like that infomercial for that one oven, you know, where they'd say, just set it and see? See how powerful that advertisement is? Just set it and forget it. I mean... That's the easy button. I mean, you remembered that because how nice would it be if you walked to the kitchen and everything you did, you just pushed a button, walked off, and dinner slid out on the table all hot and ready to go. You went and rested and, and read more recipe books, right? Just set it and forget it. Set it and what? And that's how I want my heart really to work is that I can just set it and forget it. And I want my heart to just stay there. Hey, I went to church this Sunday, and, and you know, I, I went in January... And I went because Grandma passed away. That's the way she would want it after a funeral. So I went for a little bit, and now it's set for a while, and I just float, right? I just go. Because really, even though the Word of God, uh, the, first, uh, the New Testament and even Old Testament, it's all about the gathering of believers and the strengthening from each other. But, you know, hey, that part doesn't apply to me. I just want to set it and forget it. But the psalmist said it's not enough to just set it and forget it. 
He said it's more like you set it, then you check it, then you reset it, and then you check it, and you set it again. Because all through your day and all through your year, your heart is going to be tempted to decline to default position. You can't trust your heart. Listen, if you aren't spending time in the presence of God outside of services, I will 100% guarantee you that you are slipping further than the average Joe Christian in your daily walk during the week because you cannot just set it and forget it. You can't just get up tomorrow morning and think, this is my normal life, now church is done, and now I can just forget what I learned yesterday and what I sang yesterday. Or I don't, Maybe you're not willing to admit I'm saying I'm going to forget it. You're just saying, well, that was good for then, and that's just going to carry me through to next Sunday. No, it won't. You can't set it and forget it. And it may be its default position, Maybe discouragement is your default position. Maybe despair, dysfunction, whatever it is. But, but you take charge of your heart. You, so, so you have to take charge of your heart. It, is not, it does not have autopilot. So I want you to tap your neighbor on the shoulder and say, take charge of your heart. Or the imaginary neighbor that you're going to invite that's not sitting next to you yet. Take charge of your heart. That's what the writer of Proverbs said. It's, it's not just the psalmist who said it. The writer of Proverbs said it. Guard your heart. It's your heart, and it's, it, that's where the issues of life flow from. That, that's where our main issues flow from. If you think you're having a difficult uh, problem with your boss, chances are what God has done is He put you in that position to challenge you to change the, the, the position of your heart, to incline your heart. So before we can get the issues worked out, we have to get our hearts working. If the doctor is always fussing about me about cholesterol, which they are at the VA, and I, I dodge it for a while, and they say they're going to put me on medication, and, and they don't, and then I'm sitting at home, or like on 4th of July, at my in-laws away from any VA, because I'm too cheap to go to another hospital, and I'm like, oh, oh, chest pains, oh, oh, chest pains. And Jen's like, you need to... You need to go to the doctor. I know, I know. And then they go and they're like, it's your cholesterol. You know, it, your cholesterol is too high. And, 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 it le and it lets me know that I'm not that lean, mean fighting machine that I thought I was when I was in the Navy anymore. I mean, time has been not so good to me in that area. But, uh, and my, my bad habits of eating. But the doctor's talking all this mumbo-jumbo about triglycerides and all these terms. And when they finally realize, you're not going to get it, are you? Because we're not talking the right terms. Say, hey, man. I don't want you to be one of those guys that looks like you're okay on the outside and you can go out and work as hard as the rest of them. But one day, you're going to be out working too hard and you're just going to drop dead because you look okay on the outside. You look like everybody else, but you've got problems on the inside. And you need to listen to me, the doc says. And I always feel the need to correct them. I say, doctor, but you don't understand. That doesn't apply to me because I don't work too hard. So there's no chance of me falling over dead from working too hard because I don't. I can handle it. But the doc says, I can do all of this and yes, I look and I feel like I can handle it and everything's fine and at the moment I don't feel any problems um, but, but I can drop dead because of a heart attack because my heart isn't right. I can be fit all over and fall over. I can be fast and fall over. I can look strong and fall over. I can be tough and fall over. 
I can be married to someone strong and fall over. I can get a promotion and fall over. I, I can be religious and fall over. It has to happen in the heart. Change has to happen in the heart, but it doesn't start with the heart. It starts with habits. Just like my physical conditioning on the outside, it starts with habits. You know, they say if you do something for 30 days, it becomes a habit, if consistently for 30 days. Uh, me and the boys last night, because they were doing their push-ups, they've been doing push-ups every day uh, multiple times. I challenged them to work up to doing, um, doing at least 100 a day and more later, and eventually they'll be doing thousands in a day. And they just, wherever they're at, drop down. And so we watched some YouTube videos on, on people doing transformations where all they did is push-ups for 90 days. And literally because of the muscle they're building and the, the tightness of their body, it was training their body, they begin to lose weight all over because of that one motion that they're doing, that one discipline. They formed a habit that changed their whole body. And I believe today for somebody here that God is going to help you set your heart on things above. That God's going to help you incline your heart. You have to get your heart set in the right direction, but it's going to require some habits. I want to read to you the next two verses in, Psalm, in Psalms 119 because the three habits we're talking about today come from these verses. In 112, again, incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Verse 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. I hate the double-minded. And I don't think we should go on until we really pick that one apart because I don't think many of us realize that our heart has deceived us into being double-minded. That because we've decided to set it and forget it many times, we wake up during the day and we're double-minded. We say we love the Lord and we want to follow Him and we want to love our enemies, but then we get to work and we want to demolish our enemies. Or on the way, you know, um, Jen and I recently, I, I, my favorite illustration, I guess, is in traffic because that's where my, my struggle still is. You know, mom will tell you I don't have a temper anywhere else. She doesn't drive with me a lot. My wife will tell you that's the only place it really comes out. And this guy, when the kids are in the car, I've said this before, and someone is literally almost tapping your bumper. I'm not exaggerating, am I? Because she's looked back before, and when they get that close to where they're that far trying to intimidate you because they have a larger vehicle, now they're expecting soccer mom in the little black tinted window VW. They don't know there's a 260-pound man in there that is carrying a gun, okay, <laughs> and who loves his kids more than he loves them. And so when they do that, I'm fired up ready to say, if it's between you intimidating and trying to hurt my children even though you don't realize you're doing it I'm getting ready to get out of this car and Jesus is going with me and we're gonna teach you a lesson so so I'm getting better though because here's the improvement I made recently this guy was doing this and we were on the way to the to the rec center and so I'm going down highway 12 right it, when it was getting close to that McDonald's and turn off the Benville rec center and the guy had been on me while it was one lane boom 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 just on us and I was getting fired up and I'd tap my brakes a few times and she's like stop it and I'm like, I'm trying to wake him up. He's about to get a lesson. And so we finally pull up to a stoplight. And he pulls up next to me. And it's a younger guy. And he's a pretty good-sized guy. And I roll down the window. And Jen's like, stop it. And I roll down the window because he can't see me. And I look right at him until he looks. I go. <laughs> and he rolls it down. And I said, I have kids in the back of this car. And the way you're driving is endangering my kids. You need to stop it. Didn't I? And the kids and Jen were all just still. Like, you're waiting. And the guy's like, okay. And he rolled his window up. And he was bigger, bigger than me, but the thing is, he could see the intensity of my concern for my kids was going to overpower his idiocracy of driving like an... Yeah. So, 
I hate the double-minded. And it's not the person I hate. I hate the condition of the double-mindedness. I hate the condition of double-mindedness. That man had people he loves, and he would never do that if they were in front of him. He'd never do that for the risk of hurting them, but he's willing to do it. I hate the double-mindedness. Not the person, but the double-mindedness. Healthy habit number two, you have to hate what's not good for you. Now, I've mentioned this. Now, none of you all have reference. You've seen me only as plump preacher, but there's been a time, I'm telling you, I, I, I have the pictures of some of them I won't show you because my shirt's off, and that's not appropriate, but I was ripped. I was ripped. I was disciplined. I, I treated anything I wasn't supposed to eat like poison. I've told my boys, you have to treat it like poison. When somebody says, come on, piece of pie won't hurt you. You're, you're working it off and all that. I've had that my whole life. I've had people who, when I try hard to be disciplined, when I try hard to make the right decision, they're trying to undermine it by saying, oh, it won't hurt you, because what are they doing? They want to eat the pie, and they want to feel guilty because they see discipline in your life, and it's appealing, but they know how hard it is to do that, and they think it's foolishness because, because they are double-minded. I want that, but I don't feel like I'd have it, so I'm going to make sure you don't have it. And so... We, we, I've had that, but, but I have to treat things. I have to literally hate them. You know, sugar, I hate it. You know, Jen's been doing that with sugar and, and carbs and stuff, and I'm like, man, I like the changes in my wife. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of coming over my side a little bit. Maybe if I just got disciplined and quit eating the Icy Pops and, and splurging in front of her, like, man, this ice cream's good, Jen. You know, if I quit that stuff, then I might make the same progress, but, but I hate the double-minded. You have to hate... You have to hate those things that are not good for you. And see, here's the thing about the hate. Hate is the most powerful motivator to change, not love. Hate is the most powerful motivator to change, not love. You're going to be thinking I'm preaching heresy, but hang on a minute. And so before you start with wanting to reach your goals, the first thing you have to do is make a decision about some things that you hate because it's going to be complicated. It's like when Jesus, when, when the, the man wanted to follow Jesus, and he said, and Jesus said, okay, come follow me. And he said, well, let me go say goodbye to my family. He goes, no, that's not going to work. You have to want to follow me so much that literally it's like you hate your family. Not that, not that you hate the people, but literally you hate those things in your life that you say, I want to follow Jesus, but after I do this. I, I really want to be in shape, and I hate being out of shape, but I want to start my diet tomorrow because we have that thing tonight at Ken's house for the youth and there's going to be probably, uh, knowing Ken, barbecue or something similar. There'll be good food and desserts. So I want to start tomorrow. I want to follow Jesus tomorrow because today there's that show I want to watch that I know Jesus wouldn't like. I have, I have this love-hate relationship with some things feel kind of like David. One day David's son Absalom, we talked a little bit about this. We're going to talk a little bit about a different aspect of it. But his son Absalom died. Remember David messed around with Sheba, pregnant, tried to hide it, killed her husband, all that stuff we talked about. And so uh, his son Absalom, he tries to take the throne. He tries to go around and take the throne. And David started weeping because he died. And Joab was mad because Absalom was trying to take the throne from David. And so Absalom had become David's enemy but David's heart was connected to Absalom so David was crying so Joab said you need to get it together I mean you hate those who love you and you love those who hate you 
Now, before you pass judgment on David, let me give you a real-life example of things we've seen in families. That, that's the exact same thing what David's doing. That, that youngest of the siblings, right? That gets in trouble with the law and the parent bails them out and bails them out and bails them out and enables them. And the rest of the kids that are being good and obedient and being supportive of the parents and there when there's trouble and the other kid is talking back to them and treating them horribly and all this and they bend over backward for that one and ignore the ones who are truly showing real love because, because they're faithful and they're there and they keep just throwing their love at that spoiled brat, that one that's a back-talking, self-entitled, snot-nosed kid who needs to be just cut off for a while so maybe they'll grow up and learn some integrity, right? You've seen it? Have you seen that happen? That, that's the exact same thing. Sometimes we end up loving those that hate us and we hate those who love us. And, and here's the thing. Somehow that parent thinks they're going to rescue them but they're really the problem because they keep doing that through the life and they ha they've forgotten all the other times they did it now's a different situation but you understand they're in trouble if I don't help them and they keep doing that and they're the ones ruining their child because they're labeling them they're never letting the Lord get them in that spot the Lord's been trying to get them in where it breaks them down to the point they want to turn to the Lord or turn to his help and so Joab saying you hate those who love you and you love those who hate you you hate what's trying to deliver you, and you love what's trying to destroy you. You, you think you're any different. I mean, I mean, come on, church. You hate what's trying to deliver you, and you love what's trying to destroy you. How many live that? Come on, you don't have to raise your hands, but I'll raise my hand. I, I tend to seem to love the things I know will destroy me, and I hate the things that are trying to help me. And so I feel uh, certain ways about things like that in my life certain actions, certain behaviors in life. I love how they feel for a minute, but I hate the crash afterwards. And certain things in my life, I hate how they feel when I'm doing them. Like I hate squats. I hate squats. Jen does squats. I hate it. I feel like I'm going to pass out when I do them. I don't care how strong I got, how in shape. I could run. I could swim. I could pull ups. I could climb rocks, I could do all that stuff, but you put weight, a weighted bar on my shoulders and tell me to squat down with my rear end even with my knees and I just feel like, might as well just shoot me. I hate that. Later I found out I had a medical excuse for it. Yay. I mean, I had a muscle disease and don't we love the blame thing? <laughs> I've gotten out. You don't. I hate squats. I mean, I mean, I was one of those kids, the poster child for a couch potato when I was younger. I hated to exercise. I mean, you can go back and find pictures of me as a scrawny little kid, and some of them even got to where my stomach was hanging out under my shirt. I remember one that I hope has disappeared when we moved to Rogers, and I was probably 11 years old, and I think it was my birthday, and I had this striped shirt, and it didn't cover the bottom of my belly. I was like, why would you, why would you go get that print off? That was before we had digital photos. Why would mom and dad go pay money to have that print off of your son? Don't you know that's going to scar him? You know why I hated exercise? Because it wasn't a habit. It was not the resting position. It was not the decline. I didn't do it enough to love it. I hated it. But you, you don't have to accept your default attitude towards anything. And that's what I, I, I keep going over and over in my head is we don't have to accept the default attitudes that we get. You, you don't have to, and I've said this over and over in a different way, you don't have to say that's just the way I am. 
And, and it's worse to think it over and over and then not to say it because I don't want pastor to hear me saying it since he doesn't say that, but I'm going to live it. That, that it's just the way I am. I incline my heart. I grew to hate being the wimpy kid. I, I think the realization for, for me was being the kid on the sidelines of everything exciting. The jocks had the attention and they were the stars of the game and talked about school because they won the championship and all that. And, and I hated being on the sidelines of everything that was inspiring to people. And, and always being on the sidelines with unmotivated, complaining, wimpy, wimpy people like me. Uh, people who fail at everything because they have a habit of not making good habits. And I started to hate that. I hated it. I hated this man that I was going to become to be if, if I kept going like I was. I, I hated the jocks getting all the glory for something uh, with, that just good exercise and good habits would help anybody to do. And, and I hated being fearful of the tough kids just because they may uh, have been pushed uh, uh, habits of manual labor. It's like in Nebraska, the farm kids who, I didn't work on the farm, the farm kids who got muscle because they were helping bale hay. And when they got to school and you got in a wrestling match with them, they hurt you. And, and they were made to go work, and they got the muscles, and they just used them wrong, right? And the bully and the jock and the tough kids are thinking, hey, keep sitting on the couch eating your nachos because it's job security. And finally, I was fed up and read their minds, and I said, I said to myself, no, man, I hate this. I'm not going to give you job security anymore. I hate this feeling. And sometimes before you can make a change, being motivated... And, be, make a change, being motivated. I know it doesn't sound very Christian, but you have to be motivated by hate. Pastor CJ, how can you preach on having hate? Well, we're not talking about hating people, and that's what the Bible talked against. We're talking about hating bad habits. You have to hate it. You have to hate it so bad. You have to hate self-pity. And the thing about self-pity, it feels good and warm, like cheesy and spicy nachos sitting down in front of your favorite show. I hated what nachos did to my body, but I love the way they make me feel. I love what they did for me, I just didn't, I just hated what they did to me. It sounds so simple, but it's really deeper than you think. Because we're really not talking about nachos, are we? We're talking about those things that they feel really good to us, and we like what they do for us, but we often hate what they do to us. It's a complicated relationship, a plate of nachos made right does something for me and it may not do anything for you it, it does something for me though I mean I used to come home and jalapenos and some good sharp cheddar cheese grated almost heaping piles over the chips you know not as much chips as there's cheese and that did something for me I could go into a happy place so I have this long-standing relationship with nachos it started when I was a kid and they've been for me in the midnight, been there for me in the midnight hour when I couldn't call on anybody else. When I was single and had my own place and had a little bit of money, guess what was always stocked in the fridge and in the pantry? Stuff for nachos. I love what it does for me, but I hate what it does to me. I hate all this. I hate manipulation, but that was my go-to for some time. And it's one of those things that once you had a go-to like that, something destructive. When you get into doing things right, because see, everything destructive has a, a good counterpart, right? 
And so motivation, you know, motivating people to love the Lord, motivating them through God's Word, being a preacher of the Gospel is, motiv is motivating people. The Holy Spirit's motivating them through you as a vessel, but it also, when the devil takes it, it turns into manipulation. And that's why you see so many cults, that's why you see so many, you know, big-time preachers who, who the devil gets a foothold and then begin manipulating people to hide their sin. And before I met Jen, up to when I met Jen, when, when I was running from the Lord in my heart, maybe not a lot of people realize it. And I can talk about this. My family said, I don't know what you're talking about this long time that you ran away from the Lord. Because it was in my heart. And I was hiding my actions from them. But, but I was manipulating people to get what I wanted. It made me feel good. It even got me results. And I have this complicated relationship with manipulation. Now you can manipulate enough to get people to do what you want them to do, but when it's all over, you're alone. God didn't send me Jennifer until he made me so, hate manipulation so much because I got manipulated by the chief manipulator. Jennifer remembers when she and her friend were trying to console me because I'd eaten a banana for the whole month. I'd lost a ton of weight because somebody got me so twisted up because they could manipulate way better than I could. I got schooled. I hate being manipulative because I hate being alone. And that's exactly where it led me. And that's where sin leads us, is alone. No matter what you go down the list, manipulation, whatever it is, lying, gossip, all those things, it ends up creating a lonely life. So I want you to shout something with me leading into the next part here. Shout outcome. 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 I hate the outcome of manipulation. I hate it. I hate what it does to my marriage. I hate what it does to my relationships. I hate what it would do to this church. I hate how it disturbs my inner peace and puts me in the state of turmoil. And it's complicated. It's a complicated relationship I have with manipulation or complaining or gossip or whatever you want to insert. Well, complaining. I love to complain too. Here, here's the thing that I've noticed is as God's helping me to try to work on my not complaining, Anytime somebody else complains, it, I, I have this disdain for what they're doing. And then there's this automatic uh, knee-jerk reaction like, well, now I feel hypocritical because that's what I'm working on too. And I'm really getting upset with them for doing what I don't like me to do. I mean, the Bible says don't complain. The, the Bible says don't complain, but it doesn't say that it doesn't feel good. I mean, it feels real good to complain, like a choice morsel going down. It's... It's coming out of your mouth like it's warm, cheesy nachos going down. And so just to unload to them where someone says, how you doing? And you give them five minutes of everything that went wrong in a week. Come on, folks. Hear, hear me out here. Th this is really a God principle. This isn't Pastor CJ harping on a personal item here because this part I took directly from Pastor Fertig's message. So you can blame him, right? But it's really God's word. The truth is many of us don't realize how many times we're complaining because we made it a habit. It's our cheesy nachos that feel so warm. Because we, we got used to that the negative thing. Now, I'm going to tell on one of my boys, I won't mention a name, because they both, probably both have done it, but, but we used to call one of them Mr. Negative because I'd come home from a long day of ministry, and I'd come home, hey, everybody, and one of them would immediately report to me everything that went wrong that day. Well, Dad, you got to see that um, Lily did this, and then my brother did this, and Mom got real mad at us, and then she yelled. And you know what he's thinking in his head? The Bible says not yell. That's what I'm telling you. So you can go <laughs> past your mom, you know. And Mr. Negative. And we got to where I'd walk in, I'd say, ah, 
Is this negative or positive? Uh, and this buzzer sound would go on. Uh, like thinking, how do I still get my negative out and turn it? And so they would try to slip it in in this weird way. I can't even give you an example. It was like, it was like they started positive, but they threw it in there somehow where they just chopped it up in there so you, you didn't catch it, right? Just to load on someone when they say, how you're doing? For five minutes. Every ache, every pain, every bad thing in your week, every disappointment, every struggle. And some of you are thinking, I've done that with Pastor CJ. I've done that with CJ. Whatever you think. But the, here's the thing. We all can get in that habit because it's just the natural resting position of our heart. It's the sinful natural resting position of our heart. Well, I'm just telling you about people's needs. All right? When have I heard about their victories? When have you talked about the victories in somebody's life and your own? Or is your day surrounded by all the negativity? All the things that the devil is winning at? Well, it's a prayer request. Yeah, I get plenty of those. I'm still asking you, where is the victory in your life, child of God, warrior of the true king, the one who will come back in the clouds if we are at the right point in time and he lets us, I want to be on the front line with a blazing sword right behind Jesus, ready to chop at the enemy. I'm excited about fighting. Well, I thought we were just supposed to go and be peaceful. Oh, I'm excited about having, finally when the Lord says it's okay for us to have revenge on the enemy, I'm ready to go take some to him. I'm ready for every person. There's some that, that's not even here today that I know right now there's a struggle. I know somebody I may never get a hold of again because they've let the enemy speak lies in their ears and they're going to let the devil have their way with them and they're not here and I worry about them this morning. And listen, if, if the devil wins out in their life, then when it comes time, I'm ready to have some victory. I want to go kick tail with the Lord. I'm fired up about heaven, not because I get to walk around looking at streets of gold and stuff that's just self-gratifying. I'm excited about living with forever for eternity with the warrior King Jesus. See, here's the thing. Remember what I told you about these things cause you to be alone? Think about it, the person who always has a negative. Guess what? The, the first, second, and third time that someone says, how you doing, and they get five minutes of negativity, guess what happens when that person walks up to them the next time? They're the other way. I, I can't be around. I just need a breath. I can't be around that all the time. I, I, I can't send, I can't, every time I hear problems and problems and problems and problems, problems it's draining me. Because guess what? God has created us to be beings to share others' burdens, yes. But when you make a bad habit of negativity and you're focused on it so much, then it's toxic to those around you. And the people of God start saying, I can't do that and have Jesus bringing me to victory every day because we're just running to the enemy. We're running to the enemy in a roundabout way, trying to be Mr. Negativity, trying to slip it in and chop it up and make it sound like we're doing something spiritual and positive. But really what it is is we're wallowing in the disbelief that God has made us victory, victorious over everything. That in the end we win. Paul and Silas singing at midnight in prison, how many Christians would be sitting there saying, well, I sure hope the church is praying for me because this is bad, real bad. This is bad. I, don't, I just don't know what we're going to do. Boy, if God doesn't show up. They're like, what was that song? Pastor St. Ken, 2,000 years ago, whatever. What was that song he sang? Sunday, oh yeah, let's sing that one. When the saints start breaking out in song in the middle of their troubles instead of 
sharing the latest and greatest troubles. When you start to look at your problems that cause you to burst out in rejoicing song over the fact that you're suffering with Jesus, it got real quiet in here. I guess I'll go on. It feels good to complain. It feels good. Anytime I've listened to my own messages online and I remember saying something like what I'm about to say, I say, CJ, don't say things like that. But I like to tell the truth on myself. And I have the same problem that many do is it feels good to talk bad about other people. It feels good to talk about other people because if I talk bad about them, it puts them down here, which means it, makes, it, it, it brings me higher, right? There's a natural high to talking bad about other people, a natural sinful high because it lowers them in our heart and makes us a, a, a false euphoria like we've just been elevated. And the truth is we actually just lowered them down to probably below their level. But I've got to tell you, it makes me feel really good about my dysfunction to spend a little time discussing your dysfunction. It's a natural high because I, I can get, down, get you down low. It makes me feel higher. And the problem is I'm setting myself up for decline. And now the next time I see you, I can't treat you any better than I talk about you. Hear what I said. The next time I see you, if you do this, if this is a bad habit you formed about talking about the negativity of other people or the negative things and using that for entertainment, hear what your life is becoming. It means that every time you try to build a relationship around you, you can't treat them any better than you talked about them. And that's why there's dysfunction in your relationships. So it ruins my relationships. I, I love what it does for me. It does something for me, like those warm, cheesy, spicy nachos. It does something for me, but I hate what it does to me. I hate what it does to the spiritual man. I mean, what Tommy did, and what Susie wore, and what, what they should have done, and what their kids are like. And, and, but the same measure you judge, what does the scriptures say? You will be judged. And I've heaped an awful lot of judgment on myself because of this simple bad habit. I love the taste, but I hate the outcome. I hate it. The problem with a lot of our resolutions for change is that they are not motivated by, motivated by healthy, a healthy kind of hate. Healthy hate? What, what's healthy hate? Well, yeah, here's a healthy way to hate. I hate racism. I hate poverty. And that's the only thing that will motivate me to do anything about it is I have to hate it. And some people say they hate it, but they don't hate it enough they don't hate it enough to do anything about it. They just hate it enough to love to watch news about it. I hate racism, yes, but not enough to do anything about it because it's too entertaining to watch everybody else fighting about it on TV. I hate bullying, and I was bullied. When we moved here in sixth grade, it was like I had a mark on me. I went from having friends. I had a best friend down the street in Nebraska that we played every day. His name was Derek. We had a blast. And we just got along, and I didn't really have enemies, and I moved here. And next thing you know, there's one boy named Craig that my mom ended up having to go to school because I was spitting up blood because he was standing in the line and just wail on my kidneys. Just wail on me. Wait till the teacher didn't look at me. Wail on my kidneys. Another kid got me in the bathroom. When I walk in there and I had glasses on, he'd get a hold of my glasses, pull them off, he'd get on my shirt and twist it and just start hitting me and run me around in a circle, just hitting me. And i get blurred vision. I wouldn't even know how to get out of it. 
And I had never been taught to fight. I didn't know. I, wrestling was all we did in Nebraska. And I had never punched or had been punched. And I was getting wailed on. And, and then I got off the bus and there's these two twin boys who had their grandmother's brooch pins. And they used those when they fought. And they jumped me for I don't know what reason and started wailing on me. And I felt the poke of that pin hit me every time. I hate bullying. And guess what? I hate it enough that I see it, I do something about it. I hate it enough that if I see somebody who can't defend themselves getting beat on, I don't think for a minute whether I can take care of that adversary or not. It's just I'm going to take a treasure with me when I go. I'm going to have an ear. I'm going to have something to remember. I'm going to fight like nobody's ever fought. I'm going to go crazy on them, right? Because it wells up within me something so undesirable, something I remember what that feels like, and I just see someone in that moment, and I, if I watch those videos on YouTube, I try not to, and kids getting bullied, I mean, I want to say, can there not be a job where it's only legal to beat on minors if you're hired by the parents to go take care of bullies? Can I be that guy that goes up, I'm not wanting to kid on kids, I'm just saying. You know, those big kids, they're like the adult size, and they're using that against other kids, and they're wailing them. I want to come up and say, oh yeah, pick on somebody bigger. I hate it bad enough, it causes me to do something about it. I've heard a certain people before say, I hate being late. Well, yes, they do, but you never say, I'm, hear, hear them say, I love being early. I hate being late, but you never hear them say, I love being early. You know why? Because they haven't hated being late enough, they don't hate it more than they hate hitting the snooze. Right? Once you hate hitting the snooze more than you hate hit being late, you'll stop hitting the snooze, right? So you have to have a healthy hate. You have to get that plate of nachos on your mind, whatever your nachos are, and say, I hate it. That bullying, that whatever it is, that racism, that poverty, I remember it. But you know what? That may taste good for a minute. Maybe I was a bully and then I got schooled. And now I hate it, but you have to hate it. I hate the double-minded. I hate indecision. Remember I told you a month or so ago about how much I hate when we're in the car going somewhere during dinner time, and I ask where everybody wants to eat, and no one could decide, and we're driving around aimlessly, so I finally pick a place, and then somebody says, well, I really don't want that. I hate that. I hate it enough that I take action, because I'll just pull in a parking lot and say, I'm not moving anywhere until you decide. Or we're going to go home and eat bologna or whatever's in the fridge. If there's nothing, we don't eat. I'm, I hate it. Now, I hate the discipline. You know, I hate, I hate procrastination. I do it, but I hate it. I do it a lot. Now, I hate the discipline and preparation, too, to combat that. But I hate the pain of procrastination, but I need to hate it more than I do the pain of the discipline and preparation to overcome my procrastination. I'm reminding myself lately, and I think I've said it to a few people, I love discipline. Now, I say that in, in spirit and truth. I love discipline. I, I want that in my life. I love, I watch videos about super disciplined people. I just, man, I just want that for my life. And then I go look in the mirror. I'm like, oh, God, why have you forsaken me? Look, look at me. You know what's in my heart. And why have you forsaken me with this body? I love discipline and I love exercise, but after 25 years of back and forth, extreme exercise to extreme nothing, all back and forth, I love discipline and exercise, but I haven't learned to love it enough, or I haven't learned to love it enough and hate undisciplinedness enough that it's consistent in my life. 
I think the bullies and the jocks and the people I used to roll my eyes at because they had strength, I didn't. I think I love that strength, but used in a good way. I, I think I want to be the strong person. I want to have God's power in my life. Um, so I, I think I have to reset my heart and incline my heart and hate those things that are bad for me and hate the bad habits. I have to declare a reset. And over our church, I declare a reset. And over you, I declare a reset. And myself, I declare a reset. Now, I don't believe that we just declare things and God does it because we order Him around. But I'm declaring to myself that I am set on inclining my heart to love the things of God and hate the things of Satan so much that it changes my behavior. And I have healthy habits. There's some things in your life that have been on the decline, but God brought you. Church, we're here this morning to set our heart in a different direction. You're going to love to study God's Word if you'll set your heart on the incline towards it. You're going to love to be in His presence and worship Him during the week, not just on Sundays and Wednesday nights, if you set your heart on the incline to do it. You're going to love the right things if you set your heart. There's a video I like to watch lately. I've sent it to a few people and they probably wonder about me, but it's a military motivation thing. And the guy's a believer. and His choice of words, he says things like embrace fear, which what he, I know what he means. He's saying I don't think embrace is the best, but face fear because we're not supposed to have a spirit of fear. And I don't think he's saying embrace it, hold it, and be fearful. He's saying embrace it, like just know it's coming be ready to deal with it but another thing he says in that video is retrain your brain and this is really what we're talking about is retraining our heart uh, retrain our heart set it on the things of heavenly things above when we were kids and we went to a buffet and we overfilled our plates as a family and mom and dad will look at that and they'd say you're going to eat everything on that plate now were they trying to train us to obesity no what they went they weren't really saying i i am Demanding that you eat everything on that plate, what they're saying is, I want you to hate waste. Because they grew up in a time when you don't get ahead if you don't hate waste. You aren't good stewards if you don't hate waste. And they want you to hate waste worse than you did loving what that buffet did for you, feeling like, I've got more food than I can eat. That's a great feeling. I, I can't even eat all this. Wow, look at all this that mom and dad bought me. And so you're trying to scrape things off on the floor when they're not looking. You know, there's no dog in the place because the restaurant, but you're still thinking somehow it'd be hidden. So I hate what it does to me. I'm, I'm going to despise Egypt uh, as the, the Israelites had to do, so I'm not tempted to go back into bondage and slavery. At one point, they didn't hate the slavery enough, right, to never want to go back because they're like, oh, we're out here in the desert. We don't have food to eat. We don't, we're eating this manna, the sweet bread, you know, honey bread. I'm getting tired of Lambert's rolls, you know, all the time with, molasses or whatever and so now I want to go back to bondage where they're just giving me rice and whatever that mush is so I hate what it does to me I hate the double-minded healthy habit number three as we close and I love your law it goes on to say and I love your law you have to love his law because it's where you hide you have to love His law as where I, I'm not teaching against grace because I'm not teaching that the law saves you. What I'm saying is Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So it means that once you're saved by grace because you can't do enough and you can't obey the law enough to be saved and go to heaven, but once you have that free gift of salvation, the law is a guiding post. It didn't go away. It's fulfilled. It means when He talked about the Beatitudes, He says, I'm telling you, uh, 
you say don't murder. I'm saying don't even be angry. I'm telling you it's a matter of the heart that if you incline your heart towards the things of God, that if your motivations are right, if you hide in His law, in the safety of His law, you have to know where to hide. Discouraging thoughts are going to get you off track and set you on decline. You have to know where to hide. And you need to do it in advance. In the heat of battle, it's not ever a good strategy to try to look for the hiding place then. You need to know the hiding place ahead of time. And you know, I think about the story of Elijah. You know, we talked about Elijah, and we talked about the fact that um, King Ahab and um, Jezebel, and, you know, he has his victory that God gives him, but he goes and hides in a cave, a place where predators will come and bring their dead carcasses to pick them apart. He hides in this place where you're trapped, where the enemy can easily walk up in that territory and look up and say, there's a hole, I bet you he's in there, and he hides in that place, and the voice of God enters that place and is like, why are you in here when your calling is out there? I've already shown you that I will protect you. And often we don't realize God's best protection is in the wide open, obeying His will. It's not hiding out. Just like the disciples in the Acts account, He'll provide you the power to go and, and, and go unto your death if you have to and do it victoriously. Psalms 119, verse 114, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. You're my hiding place, my shield. He's the one that has created your protection, your shield. He is the one that will protect you from the enemy. And you can't expect God to protect you from the enemy that you're running to. You, you can't say, I hate pe people who pity themselves. I hate people who gossip. I hate people who lie. I hate people who are manipulative. I hate that, but all the while you're running to the same thing. I hate when people talk bad about other people, but you run to the same thing. God can't protect you from the enemy that you're running to. So Elijah, you know, it's like, why are you here? I mean, God sent fire down from heaven in the middle of your adversaries, right? And in a big public showing of his power, protected you and made you victorious. And now you hide in a cave, right? I mean, he said, I'm your strong tower. I'm the strong tower in the battle, not running away from it. Where are you hiding? Some of you may be, have a hiding place of blame or a hiding place of pornography, or alcohol, or whatever it may be, but we, we end up hiding. And here's the interesting thing. When I was a, a teenager, young teenager, 14, on a work permit, I worked at Phillips Grocery Store, which is not there anymore, and I had a manager named Dan, and Dan caught shoplifters like I'd never seen before. Now, I spent years, years later at Walmart in asset protection watching video after video of shoplifters being apprehended, but I don't think anybody had it like Dan did. He would walk on a shopping aisle and put his face halfway on the aisle, half his body. And he was a shorter guy, but he was stocky. And he'd be halfway visible, halfway hidden, and that shoplifter would still be stuffing things and hiding things and looking back and forth. Because when you are set, when your heart is on the decline towards the things of, of the enemy, when it's deception and when it's evil, God's people can, can hide in plain sight. I'm right here. You're just so nervous about what you're doing. You're so caught up in your dysfunction. You're, you're, so, you're so twisted up in your manipulation and your lies. You can't see me right here in front of you catching you at it. And that's why sometimes people who, who are around believers, they think they can hide behind their fake smiles. They think they can hide behind their facade. They think they can play Christian all they want. But the truth is, when they get around a Holy Spirit-empowered, filled believer, that believer smiles and loves them and treats them saying, oh, they don't see my dysfunction. Well, yeah, they do. 
But the heart of Christ says, I love you anyway. And I hope for greater things, like the last message. I dream of great things for you. I dream that God calls you up out of this and that he does amazing things with your life. I'm dreaming for you. And I've been there and I've done it, so I don't cast judgment on you. I love you. But I see it. I'm, I, I'm not even halfway down the aisle. I'm standing right here. But your dysfunction has blinded you to the truth. Stand right before you that God has provided you with a church body to help you walk life and to call those things out in your life. And when you get to where you cannot hear it from your church body, God says, I can't help you. The people I put around you to speak into your life, you won't listen. I can't help you. Until you hate it bad enough, until you hate that shoplifting, until you hate that sin, that crime, until you hate that bad enough that you'll finally just say, I hate it. It's poison. I won't touch it. And you start to love the body of Christ enough to say, you know what, bring it on. Maybe you're wrong in what you're telling me, and I'll sort that out between me and God, but I'm not afraid of what you got to say to me. Speak, speak into my life. I love that God put you here. Speak into my life. You may have a hiding place of blame, gossip, complacency. Elijah had a cave. Worship team, if you come back, you got nowhere to hide. Or you're going to be running and running and working too hard and just collapse spiritually because you didn't know where to hide I know where to hide I don't always do it but I know where to hide and that's at least a start right knowing where to hide like the kid who hides in a safe and the door closes sometimes we go to things and we hide in them thinking they feel safe but they're the very things that trap us or lock us in and we can't get out on our own we have to have help from the outside and God's standing there saying I've been trying to get you to run to me it's like the parent who says, you know, those mean kids are chasing you. You ran in to the fridge. You ran into the safe. You ran in the cellar and the door closed behind you and locked. And all the time I'm trying to say, you run here. And I've already dealt with bullies, God says. I've already dealt with all that. And I know exactly how to handle it. And it fires me up. I hate it. God hates that sin. You think you're running from something and then you get trapped by the very thing you thought was safe. And you end up locking yourself in a pattern of attitude. And what you get locked into is worse than what you're running from. I reset my heart to incline to heavenly things. Incline my heart. You have to hate what is not good for you. And I love your law because it's where I hide. I hide in the fact that, you know, I don't murder God, but... But help me to not even be angry so I don't even head that direction. So I don't murder in my heart. So I don't wish people dead. So I don't do those things. Let me hide in, your, in the law, in the safety of your law, because your grace has covered me. I'm going to heaven, but now I'm walking life, and I'm trying to be sanctified, and, and I still need guideposts, and I can't abandon your law. Just like Jesus said, I didn't abandon it. I fulfilled it. It still applies. It's just that grace, when you can't meet everything, is there to cover a multitude of sins. Lord, we just come to you and believe you, God, for, Lord, that you would do a miracle in our lives today, God, that you have a purpose that we come here and that our hearts be set to the incline, that, Lord, we aren't just sitting back in the lazy chair of our spirituality, God, just letting our days happen, that we get up unintentionally, Lord, each day, but we realize that, God, this is discipline, that there's habits that have to be formed, that we have to do this on a regular basis, that, God, this isn't about works. It's not about, it's not about forcing or doing a checklist. It's about loving you enough and hating sin enough that it causes change. 
to love you enough and hate sin enough that we want something different enough to do something about it. And I just pray that you'd help us in this moment for the clarity of your word to bury deep in our hearts, for us to allow it to continue to marinate our heart over and over in the truth of your word. Just with every head bow and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to take a moment because if you leave here now without letting the message of God's word begin to speak directly to your situation, to begin to, to take those things that you thought of that through the message that the Holy Spirit was bringing to your mind about your own life, if you, if you spent time thinking about others, then, then right now the Holy Spirit wants to turn it back to you and say, but look, examine, examine your heart. know that the reason you feel alone is because you've made some bad habits. The reason you've been rejected by those children or by that, that, those people or, or many times it's, it's, yes, you could be on the right path of being rejected because of Christ, but there's a lot of times we confuse that with being rejected because we've made bad habits and people are turning and running from us. The people that God intended us to, to uplift and to bring His Word to Jesus, right now, I just pray in your holy name that change happens right now. Jesus, change, change. Lord, those things that, that you want to change, God, that you begin to break the, the bondage, God, that keeps us in the same spot. Lord, change comes. Change comes. Thank you. Praise you, Jesus. you a place that I hide and it's as simple as a song that I grew up hearing and even now even though I knew that I was going to try not to get emotional about it it's just a song that comes to my heart and I am tempted to make the bad habits, make the bad decisions and I want that change and it goes like this I love you Lord and I lift my voice to worship you, O oh my soul, rejoice. Listen to this. Take joy, my King, in what you hear from my lips. Let it be a sweet sweet sound in your ear. One more time. Sing with me. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to sweet sound in your
because most of my problems start in the heart, but they come out my mouth. And so that song is my place of refuge to go to the Lord to remind me that everything I say, everything that comes out of my heart, the actions of my heart, be a sweet, sweet sound in His ear. I love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you Wednesday night. Thank you, Jesus.